This episode was recorded on Darawal country. The Darawal people shared language from the southern banks of Botany Bay and the Georges River in Sydney, west towards the Blue Mountains in Goulburn, and as far south to the banks of the Shoalhaven River in the Nowa area. I acknowledge the Darawal people's continuing connection to land, sea and community. I pay my respects to them and to their elders past and present. Welcome to Weekend Birda. I'm your host, Kirsty Costa. For those playing along at home, so far I've seen 52 species of birds as part of my local big year. How about you? Tell me about it on social media or get in touch via the Weekend Birda website. A family of birds that I continue to find really tricky to identify are thornbills. And it turns out I'm not alone. This episode topic has been requested by Adam, Brandon, Jenny, Lisa, Nicole, Oscar, Skye and Tim. I'm so glad that Ricky Coughlin is here to help us. Ricky is a little brown birds expert, and you might remember her speaking about them in episode 7 of Weekend Birder. Here's what Ricky has been up to since we last heard from her. Since we last spoke, I've been dividing my time between uh, my work at Sydney Zoo, where I work as an educator, and my bird business, which is basically tours and courses and workshops for birders. I do a fair bit of work for local government as well, who get me to do various things, taking them out on tours and the like. I have also been working hard. I've established like a school holiday program, so called Discovery Kids, where I take the the kids out into the bush. It's like a treasure hunt, but the treasure hunt is like butterflies and seeing a satin bowerbird's eye or these kind of things. So it's very engaging for the kids and they absolutely love it. And it really provides structure to a couple of hours of walking in the bush and just letting kids get away from screens and just connect with the world, the natural world, and, and start to see that, hey, this is a place where there's a lot of enjoyment and a lot of fascination, and it's really about giving kids the gift of curiosity. Of course, then there's my book, Little Brown Birds of the Sydney Region, which has been consuming me. So, yeah, what started out as an e-book a couple of years ago and an, and an urge to create something that had a little more information in it and uh, might be a little bit more appealing to folks, it's going to be around about a 200-pager, 100, maybe 190, 200-pager. It really gets right into it. it. It truly is a deep dive into the Acanthizidae and Maluridae or the what you, I guess you would call the Thornbills, Juigenes, Field Wrens, Heath Wrens and Scrub Wrens and, and a few of their friends, the white faces. Those are the things in quite detail. Putting that together has been part of, I guess, my three big projects of the last 12 months. Earlier this year, they released Planipulses into Royal National Park, which is the the national park which I live near and which I do a lot of tours in and and I'm down there birding all the time. I've sort of like joined a bit of a a loose affiliation of naturalists down there who are keeping an eye on the platypuses since they were released. Apart from, I think, the official folk who, um, because they're they're tagged and that they can track them, just getting those observations. And uh, I've had round about an hour solid of watching platypuses swimming right in front of me. At times I'm like within three metres of them and once even yesterday I was within a metre of one. It's fascinating to get that intimate observation and, and moments with these iconic monotremes. I think one of the things that, especially people when they're, they're quite new to birding, they will say to me that I went out birding and 
I've noticed so much more about the world. When I'm looking at birds, I notice everything else. And that is really some of the best of birding, that, that it will bring you and introduce people into more and more of the natural world. And I know it does for me. And you know, I've been at it for decades, but birding is a great vehicle to take us uh, further into the natural world and not just enjoying it, but to uh, inquire about it and to, to grow our curiosity. I love that about birdwatching too. It's a really great way to tune in to the world around you. Weekend Verda guest Georgia Angus wrote an article about this for The Guardian recently. I'll put a link to it in the show notes for you. Okay, friend, we are here to learn all about thornbills. Ricky says a good place to start is to be a bird detective. Thornbills are a part of a group of birds called the Acanthizidae, or the family of Acanthizids. Typically, they are small, brownish. They are generally sexually monomorphic, which means that the males and females tend to look pretty much the same and for the most part cannot be split in the field. There's 12 species in Australia, but many subspecies. So these are quite diverse birds. The uh, brown thornbill alone, it has five subspecies and they are spread from the ranges of central coastal Queensland right down through New South Wales to South Australia and Tasmania and some of the islands surrounding Tasmania. Basically, southeastern uh, South Australia and Kangaroo Island has their own uh, subspecies as well of brown thornbills. So that one particular species have been comprised of five little set of five subspecies. You could imagine that there could be a lot more diversity than just the 12 of them. As bad as we're, we're almost detectives. So when we see a bird, it is, uh, where am I seeing it? That's a, your first clue to what that bird might be. So am I seeing it in the canopy, the outer canopy? Am um, I seeing it down on the ground, on the forest floor, or in the, the ground cover, the shrub layer, the mid story? Is it foraging on bark, in vines? Do a little bit of homework about your birds. Learn where they live. And then for some it's the call, but when we're talking about thornbills mostly, that can be a little bit difficult, I think, if you're a beginner to pay too much attention to calls. But then we would look for each of the discrete features. So do a little bit of work. Before you go birding and you know you're going to encounter these little birds, go to your field guide and find the one feature that you can see that makes this bird different. And don't get too fussy about fine detail. Just look for that one big feature. Each of these birds has unique features so that it is quite easy to split them. A lot of those features, of course, or, or at least some of those features, are part of how these birds have evolved to take advantage of their particular niches. Each have their own foraging niche to take their own prey in their own way. It's a very caring, sharing way of living in the environment to find your niche and specialise, you have your place and now you can grow in number and take advantage of that. Depending on how you take your prey, you will either have a long bill for poking into little vines and crevices and into curled up leaves and pulling little spiders out or getting into leaf axles or where the leaves and the buds and join stems. Or you might have a little blood bill for gleaning you know, insects straight off the surface of a leaf. One of the thornbills that has a little blunt bill is the striated thornbill. It is a common thornbill in the forests and woodlands of southeastern Australia, and sometimes people also see it in their gardens if they're in a suburb with gum trees that have got lerps. Lerps are white in colour 
about five millimetres in size, and they look like round, tiny, pointy hats. They are created by psyllids, which are tiny, sap-sucking insects. Psyllids build lerps, which act like tents to protect them from predators and drying winds. And birds, like the striated thornbill, absolutely love lerps, and that's why you mainly see striated thornbills at the top of eucalyptus trees. Striated thornbill's really cool because it's got more little nails. Its rear toe, or, or a hallux, is a little bit longer, and it's got shorter legs. So just a little shorter, so they make it a strong little buffy gripper. They've got quite a good wing loading. Their wings are a little bit larger than their cousin, the brown thornbill, which gives them a really good hovering ability. So like the weedbill, they will hover around the outside of the trees looking for where they've got the best density of lerp on the leaves. And the cool thing about this little strong-legged striated thornbill is that it will flutter up and do what you call hand-gleaning. So it can grab a leaf and hang off it and start taking lerp that way off the leaves, or even little insects if it sees a gathering of them. And that is pretty diagnostic for that bird. If you see a little bird up high in a tree with gripping onto some leaves, start to think, I'm going to look for the features of the striated thornbill when I get a better view of this bird. And it's then when you look for the little copper cap with little white streaks on that copper cap or the face, and that's the striated thornbill. You can pay a little bit of attention, if you like, to the darker striations on the breast, but those darker striations are considerably finer than a brown thornbill. But if you're just starting out, you mightn't have seen these birds often enough to really yeah, sort that one out. Look for the features that really, really count, and that is a little copper cap with little tiny little white streaks on it and some white streaking on the face. Buffy gripper is such a great way to describe a bird. I'm going to lock that into my memory for the strider thornbill. Thornbills can sometimes be hard to identify by their call. But personally, I've come to know the striated thornbill call as a high-pitched insect-like call that goes zit-zit and often comes from high in the treetops. Next up, the brown thornbill. This species is found along the eastern coast from southeastern Queensland to Tasmania. It lives in parks and gardens as well as wet and dry forests, woodlands, scrublands, heathlands and rainforests. So when you see another one with all of those striations on the breast, and it is the brown thornbill, they just have a little, what you call the forehead of a bird is called the fronds. And their fronds is a little bit tanny brown, maybe a little chestnut even in colour, very pale. They've got a little bit of very pale scalloping on it. You wouldn't look at that too much. Like, just notice it's got a little bit of a brownish forehead and quite dense and strong striations on the breast. And um, if they don't give, you, give themselves away with their little three-note call or four-note little warble, those plumage features will do the job. I've also learned that the brown thornbill tends to live a bit closer to the ground than the striated thornbill, mostly in understory shrubs and low trees, rather than up high in gum trees. The inland thornbill is another common thornbill found in most states and territories of Australia except for Tasmania. Ricky says that it can be easily confused with the brown thornbill as both species can share a habitat along the slopes of the Great Dividing Range from Queensland to Victoria. The inland thornbill tends to cock its tail a bit. It hasn't got that really brown fronds or forehead of the brown thornbill. So you'd go for those two features. It's another one who likes the shrub layer. So that can be a little bit 
that can be a little bit of a thing. In Tasmania, you've got to look a little bit closer to the greyer face of the um, Tasmanian thornbill over the brown thornbill because you will get them both there. So look at those features, look in the field guide and look for the big obvious feature. And that's going to really help you. So your detective work is to look at where you're seeing them in the forest, first clue, and then look for that one feature. And that will generally nail it. You don't have to learn 10 different features to know a bird. I think that's the message too in my uh, in my book, Little Brown Birds of the Sydney Region, is that it's not necessary to know every feature. And I know when I do my bird watching courses, I get people to describe birds. The Pied Karawan, the Australian Magpie, the Common Miner or Indian Miner, and the Noisy Miner. And these are birds that everyone confuses and there's some similarities. And when they write them down, quite often they will write so much detail. I'd say, when you're birding, you're not doing that much detail like that. When you, when you are idea bird, you don't have to go that deeply. Sometimes you'll only see a portion of the bird. And in that case, sometimes knowing all the details can work for you. But basically you'll get a glimpse of the bird. We have learned from other weekend birder guests that smaller birds often move through a habitat together in groups for better protection against predators. Sometimes a bird might be with its species and sometimes it will be hanging out with other species in a mixed group. Ricky says that you will become a better bird watcher if you can identify and understand the other birds that thornbills like to hang out with because it will help you narrow down a list of what you're seeing. They sort themselves in their environment really nicely. So you can go into an environment, say, you can go into the bush in Western Sydney and get the yellow thornbill, the striated thornbill, the brown thornbill, the buff rump thornbill, and the yellow rump thornbill. But they will sort themselves out beautifully in the forest. Like a lot of these birds, they will get into mixed foraging flocks. For the most part, I guess people struggle with thornbills because they also struggle because there's a whole another group of birds called the jorigonies which live very similar lives to thornbills in many respects and uh, often occupy the same patches. And therefore, people can become a little bit confused about them too. <laughs> and they, uh, they can kind of like mix them up. So being within themselves, some of the jorigonies can be a little bit difficult. And of course, if you start seeing them with thornbills in the forest, the confusion can, can grow. Now, I guess I should mention before going any further, the weebill is a little bit of an enigma for some. Because a lot of people think it is a kind of thornbill, but really it belongs to another group or subset of the acanthizid family, the Sericornids or scrubbrang group. It is more closely aligned genetically to them. So that can get really messy when that happens, all those jerigonies and thornbills and everything else all having a gun. Ricky says that it's easy to identify weebills by the fact that they are hovering high up in a gum tree canopy and they have a very cute weebill call. Have a listen to this recording. I called Jerigonies Jerigons for the first six months of being a birdwatcher because that's how their name is spelled. There are nine Jerigony species in Australia. All species are small, mainly with brown or grey upperparts, pale underparts, red eyes, and usually with a small white eyebrow or streak from the bill going over the eye. Jerigony is ancient Greek for the children of song, and some you will be able to identify by their call. Ricky is an expert in watching and identifying thornbills, and she has some really valuable advice about using binoculars, especially if you're new to birdwatching. 
She says that the first thing you should do is set up your binoculars properly. Binoculars are hinged in the middle. So let's get our eye distance right. So let's line up the barrels so that you, the, the sense is that you're looking through one barrel. So you shouldn't get that overlap of barrels. You shouldn't feel like you're looking down two tubes at any time or have grey in the middle of the, the vision. So get the hinging right. Then most half-gold binoculars will have, of course, you've got your main focus ring in the middle and you've got your diopter ring on the right barrel or... For some binoculars, it snaps in or out of the central column, the central focus ring. But you'll know whichever way that is for your binoculars. Cleaning binoculars is a whole thing. Have your, your lens cloth. I use little spuds ones that live in a Velcro cloth that hang on my binocular strap. Like I sell these uh, in Australia, I don't think Swarovski do, and it's very hard to get other brands of them, but the Leica website has them. Fantastic. They will keep your lens cloth clean and dry and free of grit because the place where grit lives and seems to breathe is in your pocket or in the bottom of your backpack. I have scratched the lens of a very expensive pair of binoculars in my time, making the mistake of having a little bit of grit on a lens cloth. And I will never do that again. Ziploc plastic bag, two, in case you drop one on the ground. So if you don't have your spuds, have two and keep them in separate bags. Now I give them a little puff, do a little bit of steam, give them a quick little wipe and the binoculars are clean. I adjust the eyepieces to suit whether I like a great deal of eye relief or not. If you wear glasses, the surface of your glasses is going to give a lot of eye relief between your eye and the lens of your glasses yourself. So you should wind the eye cups right down and your glasses will more or less sit on the lens of your binoculars, the eyepiece of your binoculars. So set your eye cups. And now, looking through your binoculars and looking at um, a tree or a sign or something about 20 metres away, close your left eye and use the main eye ring to focus on that object. And uh, once you've got them sharp, your binoculars are set up. We're walking along a trail and wherever we are, we're starting to notice that birds may be, maybe, I don't know, 10 metres or 15 metres or whatever distance we're seeing the birds generally that we're looking at mostly. Pre-focus your binoculars on something that distant. So now you've got your binoculars pre-focused. So you are ready. If you see a bird, chances are it's going to be pretty much in focus and you're not going to waste that half a second that you might need because... We think we're seeing birds for a fair while. Generally, we get one or two seconds if we're lucky, and especially if it's a brown thornbill or, or a thornbill that's very active and small and can hide behind leaves and disappear behind leaves very easily, and then, so they seem to come and go. Now, if you see a bird fly into a tree, don't try and find it with your binoculars. Look into the tree where you think it flew, focus your binoculars on the tree, drop them, use your naked eye to find that bird. And when you found it, bring your binoculars back up and you've got it in focus straight away. So as soon as you see it, you've got it. If the bird is moving around a lot, drop your binoculars, spot it with your eyes, bring it back up. Don't try and follow a bird if it's getting out of your range of binoculars too far. Use your naked eyes. You've got a much more broader field and you will see the movement. You'll be back on the bird. And sometimes I'll be looking at thornbills and I'll be... Um, on and off the binoculars several times in the quest to make the idea or observe the behaviour or enjoy those moments with these fascinating little birds. 
they are the binocular tips that, that will help you achieve a little bit more joy when you encounter these uh, little brown birds. That is such great advice from Ricky. You can learn more about the basics of using binoculars in episode five with Anthony Overs. This week on Instagram, the Weekend Birder community has been talking about places on their birding bucket list. You know, the place that you really want to go to in your lifetime. Here's what's on Ricky's bucket list, and it may come as no surprise that it relates to the evolution of little brown birds. I have two really cool bucket list places. One of them is I haven't been in the southwest corner of Western Australia, so I would love to go there and experience some of their unique bird life. But more than that, I really want to go to North Queensland and get the tropical scrub wren and the Atherton scrub wren. And I think experience the the local yellow-throated scrub wren, which is, it is a subspecies, but also to um, experience that because the scrub wrens really are my thing. I do want to go across the border of Australia and get what we now call the spotted scrub wren or macula. So I definitely want to get that. But I do want to go to North Queensland and see these wonderful species of scrub wren that, that talk to us about the interactions that make up of what we think of as two land masses are called biogeographers will call it Australopapua, so Australia and New Guinea, both of which have operated as incubators of birds for each other. Yeah, creating new species and spreading to those lands and then massively diversifying in them and so the wonderful stories of all of the, these birds. I want to see and experience that part of nature and just really indulge in, I know, and just taking some moments to ponder the, the, the story of the um, evolution and biogeography of scrub wrens. I really hope that Ricky is able to achieve her bucket list. Wow, I don't know about you, but I'm feeling more equipped to identify thornbills, and I've also had a bit of a refresher on using binoculars. What a treat. Thanks for coming back on the show, Ricky. If you would like to get your hands on a copy of Ricky's book, visit her website. The link is in the show notes, along with her social media accounts. And many thanks to Mark Anderson, who continues to gift us his birdsong recordings. Friends, we have a very special Little Brown Birds giveaway coming up in the monthly letter. Subscribe to this free, short and personal email from me to go into the running. Details are on the Weekend Birder website, and I'll also pop a link in the show notes as well. Speak to you again soon.